Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. You're about to make the jump from the dishonest mainstream media into free and independent thought from key thought leaders on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today for another episode of Indie Thinker. As always, I try to bring you guests that can speak to important cultural topics that we're dealing with. I try to provide, you know, from my perspective, a lens of Christian truth, and if nothing else, a lens of reason to many of the things that are going on in society today. And today is no exception with our guest, Scott Nugent. Now, I want to go ahead and introduce you to Scott before we jump into the conversation, because I believe Scott's voice is so very important uh, to something that's going on right now in society and something that I don't think we talk enough about. And I think the reason we don't talk about it enough is because I think we're afraid to wade into these waters. So today we are going to be talking about the uh, phenomenon of uh, children transitioning at an early age to a different gender. So a little bit about Scott so that you understand the, the context of the story. Scott was born a woman, and then Scott, later in life, went through top surgery and bottom surgery to transition to become a man. And that surgery absolutely ruined Scott's life. It's left him with lifelong pain. Uh, it has most likely shortened his lifespan and left, left him with just a litany of issues as a result of it. And then because of that, Scott has just come out very vocal, especially defending the defenseless children who sometimes are victims of even virtue signaling parents who want to um, who want to try to virtue signal through their kids. Suffice to say, I think this conversation is so important. One, because you typically only hear one side of the story and then you hear anybody who wants to say anything other than that side of the story castigated as hateful or intolerant or any of that other stuff. And the reality is, is that we have to push back against that. That is a tactic merely to shut down conversation. And it, and it doesn't honor the people whose lives are being ruined by the transgender activist movement. Because the reality is, is that there is for very, very many um, and we're, we're only learning this now because of how more prevalent this is becoming. For many, there is an initial kind of euphoria with the acceptance that they find online and on social media, and maybe even kind of this euphoria that's associated with finally going through this big step and doing it, and then experiencing kind of this new life that is uh, provided, but, but then further down the road. The reality is many of these transitional surgeries leave people broken physically, but then also do not give them the long-term benefits that they were really seeking after. The last thing I'll say about this is, is just that my heart breaks for Scott um, because, because of all of the things that have happened as a result of this surgery. Um, but my heart also beats for Scott because Scott is very brave and he's very outspoken. And I'll even say this with all due respect, Scott's a little rough around the edges. He's, he's not a Christian and uh, he speaks his mind, which often Christians really don't. Um, and so the reality is, is that I also want to give you this kind of warning up front. Uh, I'm going to filter out and edit any language that comes in the, uh, in the context of this conversation. But I also want you to know that the subject matter for this conversation is probably not for kids. So I just want to give you that warning in case your kids are around or anything like that so that you can know that this is probably one that they need to skip out on, but one that you don't need to. You need to listen to this. You need to take in the information. And then as much as possible, 
as far as history is concerned, we don't want to be silent on this issue because we will look back and see the transitioning of children who do not have fully developed prefrontal cortexes, who cannot make decisions for themselves. So without further ado, I cannot wait to introduce you to Scott and to let you hear the conversation that we're going to be having today. So thanks so much for watching. Welcome to Wendy Thinker with Reed Uberman. I am excited to welcome Scott Nugent to the podcast today. Scott Nugent is a writer. He's a dude with one heck of a Twitter game. If you follow him, you you know what I'm talking about. A frequent interviewee on a wide spectrum of platforms, and most importantly, a strong for, voice for defending the defenseless children uh, through his organization, Trey Voices, uh, which stands for Trans Ra uh, Rational Educational Voices, an organization leading the charge to stop the transitioning of young children. And of course, they do many other things beyond that, but uh, you're a real vocal uh, proponent for for children in transitioning. And for that reason, I wanted to have a conversation with you today. So Scott, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it a lot. Absolutely. My pleasure, man. Um, I, I want to give the background for people who uh, will will not be privy to this information. I, I first heard about you through Dan Crenshaw's podcast. That's how I came to know who you are and Trey Voices and all that stuff. Uh, and am I saying that right? Is it Trey Voices? Is that how you guys pronounce it? Yep, that's it. Say it however okay. you want it. But yep, that's good. <laughs> okay. I didn't know if it was like TRE Voices or whatever. But uh, anyhow, um, so I, f I first heard about you through Dan Crenshaw's podcast. And then um, I, I've kind of uh, been following you loosely here and there. And then the other day I saw a tweet from you where you were kind of echoing something that I think that I've been feeling and I think other people have been feeling as well. And essentially, I don't know if this is fair, you were lamenting the fact that uh, you didn't feel like there were Christians. And, and I'm from the Christian evangelical side of things, so I definitely say it's true of us. Uh, that you didn't feel like there were Christians who were very vocal on the issue of transitioning children. And um, and I absolutely concurred with that. And and I just, I felt like for far too long, Christians, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit later more in depth, but just generally speaking, I felt like Christians um, felt like because they couldn't effectively talk about the issue very well, and they were so scared of the scarlet letter of being judgmental, the scarlet J, um, which is probably one of the biggest idols for Christians in the culture today because they know that there's a social repercussion for talking about things, especially like this issue, uh, that they just absolutely avoided it. But but I figured out a long time ago that ignorance is not compassion. So I think it's really, really important to talk about these things. Um, so I guess I'd like, maybe you can respond to that, but I guess I'd like to just really start with your story because you're passionate about talking about these things because of your own personal experience. So what is it that motivates you uh, to do Trey Voices and that motivates you to speak out about the issue of transitioning children? Well, the, the thing that motivates me to, to talk about this, about children medically transitioning, is because number one, I've been through the process. Uh, number two, it almost killed me. I spent 17 months uh, researching transgender health to try to live. Um, I, I mean, seriously, I had letters to my kids till they were 40, all three of them, and telling them at, at different times in their birthdays what, um, what I thought I would want to tell them at that age. So I had come to the conclusion that nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. I went from ER to ER uh, with doctors going, I don't know, um, transgender health is experimental. And I went, well, fucking new for me. I wish somebody would have said that in the beginning. Um, so... For me, I'm in the perfect place to have researched this for 17 months 
and came to the conclusion that uh, I was dying and I lost everything. I, you know, I lost my home. I lost my wife. I lost uh, my career. I lost my money. I mean, I'm in the basement and <laughs> of a best friend, you know, trying, trying to make, make my way back up. And, and when the doctors finally figured out what was wrong with me, it was the worst day of my life yeah. because I thought I'm going to live. Well, what am I going to do now? Uh, and so for me, I flipped on Twitter and I flipped on what they were doing to kids. I flipped on what people know and do not know about medical transition. And I was floored. I was absolutely floored with what was happening. So I have a, a really good friend. She's a writer in Canada. Her name is uh, Barbara Kay. She's kind of an older uh, feminist lady that I just love. She's just somebody that just slaps me in the face 27 times. And then I go, okay, I really need that. I didn't like it when it was happening. Um, but I said to her in the beginning, I said, why are we medically transitioning children? Why with all the statistics? And she said, because people like you are not talking. And I went, God. And I did that for about a month. And then I just said, okay, I'm going to start talking about it. And I have. Yeah. Yeah. And you do, you talk about it very, uh, very vocally. And plus people will figure out through, through this podcast, if they don't know you from before that you're, you ha you have a frankness about you that I, that I really appreciate. I, hopefully I do, I do too. Um, and I think we need to be honest about, about these issues. So let's just, uh, kind of dig in a little bit deeper with, with your story. So you were, you were born a woman. Um, and then initially you started to, um, feel like you had, uh, lesbian tendencies. And so you started dating a woman and then, um, <clears throat> pursuing a relationship with women. But then at some point in the road, you started to feel like it was important. Um, you, you were convinced that you should transition. Now, when did, when did that, uh, gender transition take place for you? At what, what age about? It was about 42. Uh, when I when I decided to do this, and and that was another thing Barbara, uh, you know, said to me. She said, "Why did you transition?" I went, "Well, because I was with an evangelical Catholic, and she didn't think she was gay. <laughs> told me that uh, I had a male personality, and so that's why I transitioned." And she goes, "You know, well, that's crazy as hell. There's got to yeah. be more to it than that. Because if not, you need to be locked up." And I went, "You're right again. <laughs> you know." So I. I I went through kind of the, the trials of my life, which is I was the epitome of what a male would be, an alpha male, a successful male. And I started to think that if I was born a man, my life would have not been as much of a struggle. It would have been cake. I would have been the football uh, you know, quarterback. I would have been the college grad. I would have been the executive that made my way up. I would have, you know, never had to deal with anything. And I realized that I would also be a Christian male. And I would probably be the biggest bigot you've ever met in your entire life. I mean, I would be the person that I hate. And so it opened me up to a little bit more of the idea that the true idea that is a lot of people are medically transitioning because of homophobia. We mm. are taking our marginalized kids. And if, if you look at the studies like I have, the true studies, not the ones on the Reddit or the, you know, the guys with the six inch beards with red lipstick saying I'm a woman. I mean, if you, if you really go to the heart of it, um, what you realize is that the people that are medically transitioning are children 
who are in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, the time period when if somebody said, you can belong, all you have to do is cut your legs off. We would have ambulances going to the middle schools, you know, daily with yeah. people. Oh, yeah, we just had another kid cut his leg off. Um, and so we have these kids that don't fit in like me. We have the, the kids that um, are same sex attracted. We have the autistic kids. We have the mentally ill kids. We have the gifted kids. We have the, the kids that are uh, experiencing child abuse. We have all those kids that don't feel like they're fitting in suddenly are going to their school counselors or online and they're telling them that, you know what, the reason why you don't fit in is because you're transgender. And so then we have a process that takes five to eight years to complete and everyone has a step. So it's not like one decision and then you go, okay, that was bad. You start testosterone, you kind of look left to right and go, okay, that didn't work. And then, well, I still need not my top surgery. So there's this big, long period of time that you take yeah. that kind of engulfs people uh, into this. So, yeah. Did that answer? Yeah, no, that, it definitely does. And you said something there that really interested me um, because I think this is important. So I'd love to hear what you say about this, because it, you you said that the reason you felt like you should transition was because of some personal experiences. But then your friend kind of called you on that. And, and I am curious, um, and you don't have to, uh, because I think you'll probably infer what I think about this, but you don't have to confer with, with me um, or infer what I think. But, but you, you almost seem to, to say, and I wonder if you would say this, that it wasn't just your personal experience, but that there was also a, what we would call, what I would call, there was an agenda that you started to believe for why you should transition. So it wasn't just your personal experience, but that perhaps you also listen to some of the voices in our culture that are putting pressure upon people to, to assume an identity that may not necessarily be their identity. Would you say that that's fair, that, that there's a cultural agenda that perhaps that you started to, to listen to in terms of transition surgery? Well, sure. Um, you know, here, here's the thing, is that I, I never fit in even in yeah. the, the gay and lesbian community. I never fit don't. in there because I was, um, I was not a butch lesbian. I was a business, so I had to do it again. Um, and so I knew how to portray what society wanted me to physically. But from a, a personality standpoint, I mean, I was the one that walked into the, you know, the board meetings and just said, okay, sit down, where are my numbers? And you guys can talk about who you last weekend, some other time, let's get to work. I mean, that was me. So these guys are like, they're shocked, you know? And so they didn't like me very much and the women didn't like me very much. And so I thought, well, maybe that personality means that I, I was born in the wrong body. So it was all these things that were, that were culminating on top of uh, my wife was an I mean, over the top Catholic, she came from an Italian family. I mean, I heard the phone calls for fiery hell, burning lesbian devil. I mean, I, it was, it was disgusting. It was horrid what they put her through. And so in turn, they kind of put me through that. And so for, for a period of time, I was really vulnerable to the idea that, yeah, that's the problem. I, I was born in the wrong body. No, the problem was, uh, was that, and I know this will probably offend some of your, from your viewers, but oh well, 
Uh, yeah. We're not at a place where, where we accept homosexuality. We're just not. We're so far away from that. But the problem is, Reed, is that accepting homosexuality and accepting people that are same-sex attracted is a far cry from having the LGBT in our school system. You know, I mean, the LGBT went from a soft place to fall to a recruiting agency. And I don't know why we don't have more people like me standing up saying, listen, we don't have religion in schools for a good reason, because that's my, why are we so obsessed with our children's sexuality? Here's the thing. They shouldn't be having sex anyways. <laughs> you know, so the LGBT has gone from a soft place to fall. We, you know, we, for 50 years, we told people we're not after kids. We're not after kids. We're not after kids. We're not after kids. Then you had evangelicals who had too much power yeah. and, you know, their shit kind of rose to the top and they fell. And so now the LGBT is up here and the same thing is happening. The, the truth is, is that you need me and I need you Yeah, we need because each other without balance, what is going to happen is something freaky and something unbelievable, which is we are going to medically transition children. We're going to take 15 years off of kids' lives. We're going to cause them to have osteoporosis at 25, lungs of the size of a 12-year-old that can't run. We are causing 12, we're going to cause 12% more uh, mental health and psychosis. We're going to talk infertility. We're going to have a suicide epidemic because the day is going to come when we're going to medically transition kids. Oh, it's happened. Yeah. You know? So I, I think this is really interesting to me because it, what we have to understand is regardless of our ideological camps, I mean, let's be honest about that. Let's be open about that. Um, when you're looking at an LGBTQIA+, whatever person, evangelical Christian, somebody that's in the middle, whatever, what we have to remember is we have to remember common humanity, that all of these people at the end of the day are just people, even outside of our labels that we that we choose to put on our, on ourselves. And if people can't agree about some basic uh, baseline common assumptions, um, and one of them being that children are young and impressionable and shouldn't be allowed to make certain decisions for themselves, then, then I think that, that, that the, really that's where we have to start. And I'll be the first to admit that uh, I don't know that Christians have done this the best way. I don't think Christians have been um, as effective as they could be and as um, explanatory as they could be from their perspective of where they come from. I do believe we've fallen into the trap sometimes of being judgmental. Uh, but by and large, I think nowadays Christians are so afraid of being called a bigot because it's and, I, and this goes culturally. I mean, because the the, uh, the label of racist, the label of white supremacist, white supremacist, although certainly one of the most evil things on the planet is probably the most overly used term right now in our culture. And the reason why is that it's an effective term and it is worked, I think, by and large for Christians. It shuts people up. It does. It, it shuts down conversation. And then I think the one thing that we can agree with as people going back to that whole idea is that we need to be able to have conversations about these things without calling each other names. So I think it's important to have I think it's important to have the conversation, especially about kids. Um, so I want to dig in so that we don't um, run the risk of just kind of 
you know, lobbing, uh, uh, you know, softballs over the top of this issue. I want to dig into a little bit of the, the research stuff, but uh, in terms of, of the dangers to children transitioning at a young age, beyond just the reality of the fact that kids are not in any place to be making these decisions. We'll dig into that in just a minute. But but I want to talk a little bit more about your personal experience here because I do think this matters. So your personal experience with transitioning does play a part in this. And I think this is important. Now, I want to preface this by saying not everybody who transitions medically has the same experience as you. There are some who have really great experiences, but you still need and have the right to talk about your experience. So what were some of the, because I know that, that there were some serious side effects to your transition. So what are some of those side effects? Well, here, I'm going to take this on uh, real fast about uh, the, the uh, experiencing euphoria with, with yeah. transitioning as, as they kind of say in the, uh, in the media. And here's yeah, the truth. I mean, I run an, a trans organization. I've talked to hundreds of trans and the thing about me is that I don't, bull I'll tell you the truth. Yeah. And the fact is, is that I have talked to very, 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 very few that have absolutely no regret with medical mm -hmm. transition that said it saved my life. One is Buck Angel. You know, it really, really helped him. Other than that, I don't know of very many people that it was all rainbows and, and glitter bombs. And let me let me interject here, too. Let me ask a question real quick. How much do you think, because especially for the younger generation where the numbers are skyrocketing in terms of how many teenage girls especially are uh, undertaking transition surgery, hormone replacement, all that kind of stuff. How much of this do you think is played is uh, is because of social media? How much of it do you think plays into the part because you get immediate acceptance, immediate likes because of the way the culture is shifting if you come out and say, I'm transitioning? It's it's uh, an immediate aff affirmation. But the thing is, is that the media is not covering trans like me. They're covering trans like Morgan Oregon in over in uh, Canada who, you know, I mean, you need to research her yourself. And when I reach out to her to talk to her about logical statistical facts it's you know crickets but she'll yeah. talk to everybody else and if anybody else offends her it's bigot 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 you know i've i've actually challenged her to a debate on the, the biggest debate in, in internationally live you know because we need to talk about this we need to talk about medically transitioning kids um and and you're right about the you know the risks and the complications of medical transition but before I go into this, I want to give you a visual. I want to give you a visual that should shock you. The visual is this. And everything that I say, you can go to my website. It's all study-based. Um, in 2008, UK did a study. And between 2008 and 2018, there was a 4,000, a little bit above 4,000% increase of children that medically transitioned from 2008 to 2018. Well, what does that mean from a, from a scale of what will that look like in 20 years? If we take those numbers and those ratios of in the UK and we spread that off in the North America, if we take that to Australia and Europe, we don't even take it all over the world. We just take it here. In 20 years, between 18 and 23% of the population would be trans. Now, who benefits from that? Well, the people that benefit are the pharmaceutical companies. Every child that they convince is transgender, 
generates $1.3 million in a lifetime. That's not even surgery. In a time when Netflix is slitting other people's throats to try to get a 2% increase, where the business model for every business is reoccurring revenue, we want to know how much money is going to be coming in. We're doing this to children for money. All right, so I want to ask a question. I want to ask a question about that. We know that Lupron, who is the uh, producer of the hormone blocker, has never gotten FDA approval for gender uh, dysphoria. There are no studies that are behind it. Lupron was sued and deemed a criminal enterprise by the U.S. government in 2003. They paid $874 million for false advertising, for bribery. And this is the company that says hormone blockers are safe. Yeah. You don't know that. You haven't done the studies. But I can throw you a whole bunch of kids that have early onset osteoporosis. I can throw you tons of kids that have the size of hard to 12-year-olds at 20. I can throw you all these people if you'd like. Uh, but they don't want to do that study. The reason why they don't want to do that study is because there's no doctor in the universe that would sign. I have read this study and I approve of medically transitioning kids. So what we do is, is we do what, what Morgan Ogre does in Canada. Anytime anybody says anything, big it. Yeah. And then it stopped. So. Yeah. So, so much there. And I'm glad I didn't stop you because I wanted you, uh, I, you made a great point there about the experimental nature of some of these drugs and some of these things that we're doing to kids. I don't think the vacuum. Um, Reed, it's not some. Yeah. yeah. It's all of it. Yeah. All of it. And I ask you a question. What are my complications going to be for a heart attack? Mm -hmm. Am I going to get female complications or am I going to get male complications? Yeah. We don't yeah. know. Yeah. We also don't know what happens to a male body, a male genetic body that is given estrogen for over 30 years. We don't know that. But what you do know if you're trans is a whole bunch of trans women after on a synthetic hormone for after 30 years, they sure have a hell of a time with their, with their bones, wheelchairs, uh, you know, walkers, that kind of stuff at 55, 60 years old. This is what we're, we're saying, you know what, that's okay. I'm yeah. still going to put my kid on hormone blockers and transition. This is a good idea. Yeah. yeah, we're giving experimental surgeries, and you would say all, you're giving experimental surgeries to, to children, much less, uh, sorry, adults, much less children. And then we're, and we're doing this simply upon the premise of a feeling without really communicating to people that there are other options. There may be other reasons for the, the way that you're experiencing this. I mean, okay, so let me just ask this question point blank, because the one thing that I've always heard, um, and I want to ask about the reality of whether or not this is the way this is typically posed with the, with the child who wants to transition, because this is the way I've heard it always posed, that what you're going to hear if a child starts to feel this way and you walk down the road with them in a, uh, for medical procedures that typically you will hear the refrain at this point, almost liturgical, that you can either have a dead son or you can have an alive daughter. 
that suicide is the only other option if you're starting to have these kind of ideations or gender transition surgery um, or hormone replacement in preparation for that. Would you feel, would you say, would you think that that's a fair assessment that that's typically what we are telling parents and kids right now who are having these emotions? Or are we trying to actually help them understand the implications of what they're about to do if they walk down the road of, of medically transitioning? Here's, here's the thing on the, on the suicide thing. I, I personally think, I personally think that the people that have been generating that comment, they need to be thrown in prison. They really do. Um, because let's talk about the facts. The facts is, is there's only one long-term study that has ever been done on medically transitioned uh, people. It was done in, in Switzerland. Um, it was done from 1973 to 2003. And during that time, what they found is what we know in the trans community, uh, that when somebody starts transition, it's kind of like the Christmas present phase, right? Yeah. We just told somebody or a child or an adult, you know what, you're going to fit. All this uncomfortableness was because, you know, you were wronged. We're going to make that right. And so you start on this process. And after every process is complete, there's still another process. And there's still another process until seven years happens. And then you kind of look left, right and go, hey, biology's real. And that didn't help anything. But I now can't have kids. I now have cut the dating population down to less than 1% of people that will date me. Um, I constantly have in the back of my mind, will they know I'm trans? Am I trans? Is my voice okay? We've got health problems. We've got, you know, 12% higher psychosis. We've got, you know, early onset osteoporosis. We've got heart disease. We've got bone issues. We've got all these things. Um, and that's when the height of suicidal ideation is. It's not before transition. The problem is, is that the people that are running these studies are running the studies on, you know, the year before they start transition and the year after. Well, hell, that's the Christmas party phase. Yeah. You know, that is, yeah. you know, I'm, you're teaching everybody the gender ideology that wears off until, yeah. you know, seven years down the road and you go, what in the hell did I do to myself? Because that didn't fix thing. And so there is no studies about transgender kids that kill themselves. I was on a bill in South Dakota where there was a pastor of all things that got up and hit the desk. If you pass this and you don't let kids medically transition, they're gonna kill themselves. And damn it, you're gonna have to walk with the kid and you're gonna have to walk with the kid with the casket. And I remember saying to myself, God, am I doing the wrong thing? I mean, I felt really bad knowing what I knew. I mean, it would have convinced me everything I know. Right. And so me being the person that I am, I did the studies. Do you know how many transgender kids killed themselves because they were refused medical transition in South Dakota in 10 years? Not one, not one. So I don't blame that pastor because unfortunately he doesn't know. Yeah. We are so scared of being bigots that the only people that are speaking about this are evangelical Christians that just want their name in the paper. They just want a high five. They want a pat. Good boy. Yeah, the LGBT sucks. I have been in meetings with senators that I've told off uh, with evangelicals because their concern 
is getting their name in the paper. Yeah. Uh, and, and so the only people that are going to push through this, and this is my, this is my concern with Christians, is the only people that are going to push this, that are going to get people to listen, are transgender people like me. So you Christians, you have to pick me up and you have to put me in front and or people at Trey Voices. And we have to look at each other and say, Reed, I don't agree with you about homosexuality. That's okay. It's completely okay. But we have to stop kids from medically transitioning. We have to stop this epidemic because that seven to 10 year itch that the only study tells us is coming. I deal with the detransitioners. I deal with the people that commit suicide. I talk constantly about now I have this, now I have that, now I'm in the wrong body. That wasn't me that, that said that. That was a suicide note that parents sent me. That is real. What we're doing to kids is not love. If you want to love your kids, then you tell them that, hey, you know what? It's okay to be autistic. It's okay to be gifted. It's okay to have same-sex feelings, regardless of my religious. We'll get through it together. Whatever it is, I can learn. You can learn. That is what we need to do, not medically transition our children. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, and we live in a crazy world, too, where, where the... Uh, we don't even know an age where a child can start to um, start to transition because we, we, we think our two year old, if they start to uh, exhibit some type of uh, more feminine qualities, if they're a, a boy or or if they're a girl. And and and, and so there's not really even a um, a limiting principle here, because what is that age? Um, and and all sorts of studies have been done, but they're studies that nobody's ever going to hear because of what you just mentioned. Um, so there's all sorts of things that that I think we need to have conversations about. And I do believe that we have created kind of a strange alliance um, uh, in recent uh, in in recent past because um, in the in the past, probably you and I are not having this conversation. Uh, you and I are probably not really um, agreeing eye to eye on much, except certainly we have to be able to agree that children lack the ability to be able to make these decisions for themselves. And it's a shame that the medical community is is not helping in this endeavor, but is actually fleecing out our children for the sake of a buck. Um, and in order to get them uh, as quickly as possible on the government teeth as they as they can. So I want to circle back to that really, really quick, because I feel like it deserves a little bit more just quick attention. Do you believe that um, children, by and large, are experiencing gender dysphoria or they are experiencing these? I don't know what you would call it, uh, because sometimes I get confused with the terminology because it changes so quick these days, like transgender ideation um, at a young age and um are is the real catalyst behind the transgender movement do you feel like it's fair to say that the real catalyst behind the transgender movement is big pharma and money um here's the thing gender dysphoria is is a disassociation it's a disassociation from reality it's kin to anorexia kind of a thing so what we're doing with gender confused kids right now, which actually has an 82% recovery rate, which means kids that are gender uh, dysphoric 
have 82% chance of recovering from that and celebrating the gender in which that they were born. This study is being crushed as conversion therapy. So basically any therapist, and people don't realize it's with the Green Project, all that kind of stuff. People don't understand what's happening. They're passing laws left and right where therapists saying, why do you feel like you're in the wrong body? Yep, take their license. But we have an 82% recovery rate for that. Um, so for, for me, um, gender dysphoria is, is not as popular as what people are saying. People are running to it because when you run to it, what happens? When you're labeled gender dysphoric, what happens? All of a sudden you get protected by the LGBTQ glitter bomb. You get celebrated. Insurances are forced to pay for medical transition. You can't say anything. We have therapists that can't say anything. So it's a whole big glitter bomb that, that is you know, grabbing kids that has a 82% chance of, of coming out of this. Yeah. So we're in a really bad situation, right? Really bad situation uh, when, it, when it comes to that. But I completely and totally forgot about what question you just asked. <laughs> the, the, the second part of that question was, is, is big. Okay, so here's the Christian contention. The Christian contention is, is that um, you, and this, let's put homosexuality to the side for a moment. You were born the gender that you are supposed to be because of kind of a deterministic sovereign will God kind of argument. You're so you were born a boy and you're supposed to be a boy. You were born a girl and you're supposed to be a girl. And if you fight against nature, you will reap the consequences. You know, uh, if you fight the whirlwind, you'll you'll reap the wind. So you'll reap the consequences of fighting against your nature. So. Um, that's what the Christian says, but obviously on the other side is this argument that no, actually transgenderism is the way that you were born. It's something that's built into you. Um, um, however, there's a third contingent. The third contingent is a, uh, a, a, is a dollar sign, big pharma and their desire to try to as quickly as possible get as many young children as they can uh, purchasing their products and on their products so that for a lifetime they become necessary. So I, I'm, I'm just curious as to um, what, what you think. Is Big Pharma really the catalyst behind so much of the transgender movement in America? Well, yeah. I mean, think about where they place this. They, we're talking about gender, right? That has nothing to do with sexuality. Gender, sexuality, no, not the same. Not the same. So we've got kids that have parents that are my age, I'm 48 and you know, maybe 10 years younger, 10 years older, whatever, um, that grew up during the time when evangelicals were making total asses out of themselves. And, okay, <laughs> and, and people heard those, those stories about the coming out stories, about the shock therapy, about this, about that, about feedings, which happened. And so we are those parents that, that used to sit around in, in uh, you know, in school and I'd never do that to my kid. I'd never do yeah. that to my kid. So these parents don't know because nobody's telling them what's going on. It's suppressed all the way around what is actually happening. And they're placing it right behind homosexuality, which whether you agree with me or not, my opinion with what I've lived with, and believe me, if I thought it was different, I would tell you. But homosexuality is something that you are. We have never had a conversion therapy on homosexuals that ever said, you know what, this is really successful. 
we have had, you know, some people that do benefit from it, or they've learned to live their life with not, not going down that road, but it doesn't change their attraction to the opposite sex, right? And that's a choice, but there's never been a conversion therapy that works with that, right? Now, if we take transgenderism, we have an 82%, we'll call it conversion rate, to happy with your own gender. Now, what's the difference between a 14-year-old that is, it's happening right now, which I'm not, I'm not for either, is, you know, schools are teaching about sexuality and the LGBTQ, which is, we have, you know, girls that are coming out saying, I'm a lesbian at 14, and then marrying a guy at 15 or at 25, what's the harm there? Maybe a little bit of embarrassment or maybe, you know what, well, what's the harm if a 14-year-old says that they're transgender and medically transitioned at 25? I mean, let me count the ways. Let me count the ways. They've cut off 15 years of their life. I mean, I can go through the whole thing. You can go on my website and find out. But what's the difference? Why are we accepting transgenderism when we haven't even accepted homosexuality? That I'm 48 years old and 42, it hit me so hard that somebody said that I could fit in and it was such an enticement yeah. that I did it. And here's another thing. For four years, um, and this will be interesting to your viewers, for four years was the best years of my life when I first transitioned. It really was. It was the time where my personality fit with how I looked on the outside. My wife, I went from the lesbian devil to the, uh, you know, the straight man saint with her family. Her family didn't know that I was Kelly when they met me for the first time. They thought I was the straight man saint. And so hearing all those conversations with her and, you know, the fiery pits of hell and, you know, just tormenting her. I mean, I wanted to hate everyone in her family. I mean, I hated them all, but I was forced to push that aside and I got to know her family who are, I love them, every single one of them, the evangelicals, the this, the that, I got to understand who they were and yeah. why they thought the way that they thought. And it did something to me. And what it did was it made me realize that if my life was different, if I was, my chromosomes were changed like that, and I came out a male, her evangelical family that just kind of says, hey, you know what? I don't think homosexuality is right. I mean, they're not mean about it. I mean, they just, I mean, they believe in conversion therapy and all that. But um, so what I realized in that, in those four years is that however bigoted I considered them, if things were different, they're mild compared to the man that I would be with my personality. I guarantee you, I, I would be the biggest Christian you ever met in your entire I would have no time for anybody I would have no time and that kind of slapped me in the face it really really did and it, it's actually opened the door for me to be able to, to talk to transgender people or talk to Christian people because I get it you know I get it one of my my really good friends is an evangelical uh you know and and we talk and we talk about homosexuality and, and he says you know this that and I said well you're uh, I'm right, you're wrong. And he goes, well, you know what? I think that you are. 
and let's yeah. talk about something else. And we move on. He's a great guy. You yeah. know, he's a great guy. He should be. Well, um, I, I know we got to come to a close because your time is precious, but, but I just want to kind of just get back to the central focus here. Children without the development of a prefrontal cortex, which some people say like doesn't even happen for a male until they're about 25 years old, should not be making these life altering decisions, which we will, because they're relatively new, we will find out and are finding out are detrimental to people long term. So I want to just dig into that really, really quick. Um, not only the fact that these ch children should not be making these decisions and parents need to be parents, which means they need to be able to tell their children, you're not old enough to make these kind of decisions. These are decisions that need to be made independently for you as an adult. But then the second part of that is this too, is that we're also seeing that when kids, especially teenagers, especially, especially girls do these kind of things that you, you talked about this honeymoon period, and I think it's worth going into a little bit especially girls, when they transition early on, they will typically um, they will typically experience the honeymoon period of their transition where all of a sudden they feel less emotional. They're not crying as much. They feel more secure. And, and Abigail Schreier has been very um, helpful to me in, in kind of noticing this, that actually really all that is, is as a result of lowering your estrogen and raising your testosterone. It's why boys bust up Legos uh, instead of uh, build, you know, princess castles or something like that is because there's a level of estrogen, a level of testosterone that certainly does affect the way that we behave and the way that we feel. So there's this initial honeymoon experience when you transition um, because all of a sudden you're starting to feel different than you were before. And that simply has to do with the level of hormones that that are in your body. But beyond that, and, and I don't know when that period actually ends, you gave a number, but um, I don't know if there's actually like a, a set period where that honeymoon thing starts to wear off. But, but beyond that, what we are experiencing in high level of numbers is people who regret their decision, some people who even try to detransition, and then people who become suicidal because they realize this didn't give me that... It didn't scratch that itch that was inside of me. It didn't give me that feeling that I thought it would give me long, long term. It wasn't the thing that was missing in me. And, and yet now it's it almost seems like it's too late because of everything that's happened to them. So I wonder if you could just kind of speak to that to that honeymoon period and it wearing off a little bit more. Yeah, I'll, I'm more happy to do so. You talked about uh, the brain not uh, not developing, right? Right. Until There's, you're 25. Yeah. Here's the thing. And, and here's what I tell my kids is that all I do as a parent is I love the hell out of you and I help you see around the corners of life that you can't see around yet. That's all parenting is. And okay. each level of parenting goes on, you know, and there was a, there was a time when, when my kids were about seven or eight years old uh, and there was a baby around a swimming pool and they were so focused on that baby, that baby wanted to get it in the water. And uh, I asked them later at, at dinner, I said, why were you so concerned about the kids or that baby getting in the water? And they're like, because uh, he was going to drown, you don't, you know, kind of thing. Uh, their faces, what they said, of course, they didn't say that. Um, and I said, well, why are you, why were you concerned about that baby? That baby should know that if it jumped in the water, it would drown. And they go, no, it's a baby. It doesn't know. And I go, why don't they know? And so I, I finished the conversation with, you know, childhood 
is basically your brain connecting together to a point where you can see around corners. That baby couldn't see around corners. Now you being seven or eight, if you couldn't swim, would you jump in the water? No. So when I tell you no about things, it's because it's a corner that you can't see. And so for this, this is a corner that people can't see. We have something that we're telling people will fix everything with people that don't fit in. We're raising them to hero status. We are entering into not just a billion dollar industry, we're talking about a trillion dollar industry. What would it look like if 20% of the population was transgender? Um, so, so we have this happening. So you're talking about, about children um, making decisions that they just really can't understand. Right. And then we have the media not covering people that have detransitioned. And the people that are not happy with transitioning are not okay. And they're not okay to, to raise their voice. I'm just a total that said, okay, I'll do this. Because what, yeah. what do I have to lose, really? My house, my wife, my car, my money, my career, done. What, I mean, I'm in, a, I'm in a perfect situation. How many people are in that situation? Well, there's a lot. Uh, but a lot of people won't, won't stand up. You know, and right now, the only thing we have is evangelicals and it needs to be other Christians. It needs to be Christians that say, you know what? I follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to judge. I know that this is wrong for kids. I might not agree with Scott or I might not agree with this or I might not agree with that. But you know what? If kids aren't protected in our society, then your Christianity doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Your values on not wanting to work with me means more to you than it does to me because what we're doing we're taking a cosmetic we're taking a cosmetic surgery and we are covering it with lgbtq glitter we are forcing this down parents throats that this is the be all end all we're not looking at the other side uh, which is significant we are not doing the right things that we need to do for our children. So your line in the sand is going to lead to kids killing themselves. We're, we're heading to a suicide epidemic. It's already happening, yeah. but the media is not covering it. Nobody's covering it because nobody wants to be a bigot. Christians don't want to stand behind the people that will stop it. People like me will stop it, not you. You could stop it from lifting me up you know, supporting my organization, uh, you know, sending my stuff, but, but you saying it, unfortunately, it's in a realm that you have no, you just, you don't have any, anything anymore. If you started talking about the LGBT stuff, it's, it's erased before you even get to your point. Yeah. I agree. And maybe some of that is self-inflicted. I, I agree that that is the reality. It's an unfortunate reality because I think that we need to, as a society, get back to the to get back to the place where we we estimate discussions and arguments based upon the merits of the argument rather than the merits of the person arguing it. Um, it's unfortunate that uh, conversations so often descend into personal attacks and personal ideologies rather than let's talk about this from a scientific perspective. Let's talk about this from a rational perspective, a deductive perspective. But I do agree. I think Christians have probably burned bridges in the past and lost a little bit of credibility. 
in, in the subject. I don't think that should keep them from speaking out. But I also think that that means that we need to be aware of the strange allegiances that we have in our society right now. And we need to get behind and behind people like you, because if we don't get behind people like you, what we're actually saying is we don't really give a damn about kids like we say we do. We don't think that we should follow scripture when it says to defend the defenseless and to and to protect the fatherless and those who are young and, and not able to protect themselves. If we don't support people like you, then what we're saying is, is our ideology is more important than a human life. It's clear. A huge majority of them are homosexual. Hmm. So you not protecting transgender kids is bigotry. It's hmm. absolute bigotry because you're yeah. letting you're letting the medical industry butcher our homosexual kids. You're letting them butcher our homosexual yeah. kids by saying nothing. Nothing being said, that's bigotry. That's bigotry. Because yeah. the, the truth is, is that transgender, transgenderism is a decision. Nobody is born transgender. That's not how I feel about homosexuality with my 50 years on, on life. It's not. Now with transgender, it's a decision. You decide to be transgender and you become transgender with synthetic hormones and surgery. It is plastic surgery. That is not bigotry to say it. It's the truth. Right. Every study that has come out saying that kids benefit from medical transitioning mentally has been retracted or changed. But yet those studies are the studies they throw down and tell you that you're you're bigot, you know, you're a bigot. It's just people like me that have spreadsheets and go, yeah, that one was uh, retracted right here. So try yeah, another yeah. one. And then they go, oh no, this one. I go, nope, change, try another one. Nope. So there's no studies that tell us that it helps medical, uh, medical transition helps our children emotionally. But we don't have people that know that because nobody will lift voices like me. The truth is, is that it is plastic surgery. And unless we accept in our society, women who get boob jobs running down the street naked, trying to convince everybody that I was born with these double Ds. These are don't be boob bigots. Yeah. These are real. <laughs> yeah. And we're going down the society and people are walking away going, Harold, why would you be such a bigot? You know, she was born with those big boobs. You're, you're such a bigot. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. On top of these kids that you're lifting, they're wanting to kill themselves now. They're doing things to themselves that they cannot change. They cannot see around. How can kids see around the corners when you parents have no idea what medical transitioning is? When I was told that I would live, I decided to, to sue the surgeon, the experimental procedure. He used six inches of hair and put it on the inside of my urethra. For 17 months, I had infection after infection after infection. I have an arm that I can't use. He charged me over $257,000 for the surgery. I have over $900,000 in complications from this surgery. Yeah. I spent 17 months on a bathroom floor crying, not sleeping. I mean, it was horrible, horrible. And I remember, call it God, whatever you want. I remember sitting on that bathroom floor and I said, if you 
allow me to live and be here for my kids, I guarantee you, I will be here for other kids. So this has nothing to do with religion. This has to do with we are tearing apart our children and we are scared of the bigotry word. Well, jump in my shoes for a second. This needs to stop. Yeah. This needs to stop. Your religion shouldn't matter to saving kids. I 100% agree. And I appreciate that because the last thing I was going to ask you about is your own personal experience because um, whether you think this is just sentimentality or not, it comes. it's sincerely from my heart. When I first heard you on Dan's podcast, toward the end of the podcast, you start talking about the complications that you've personally experienced. And my heart broke for you. And then the obvious next thing, the logical conclusion happened is my heart started to break for other kids, especially, but adults who have transitioned and were never told this is what's going to happen to you potentially if you if you do this. Um, but my heart broke for you because I could almost hear in your voice the pain that you've gone through. Um, so I guess the last thing I just want to ask is just from an, a personal perspective, because I care about you, Scott, as an individual. Um, how are you feeling now? And, and are you still experiencing some of those same repercussions? Yeah, um, I will for life, by the way, actually. Um, here's another thing that, that is not known about medical transition with the bottom surgeries. Uh, infections are part of it. There's, I have a friend who's a trans woman in, in uh, UK who gets infections like every six months and has to be on antibiotics. Her bones are shattered because of, she's in a wheelchair. She's been on estrogen for, for 30 years. She's a beautiful, wonderful uh, solar. Her name's Claudia McLean. You can follow her on, on Twitter. I'll get infections for the rest of my life. And there's gonna be some day when those antibiotics don't work for me. And it will take my life early. It will. <laughs> but here's what I've learned. When I realized I was gonna live, the first thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to get back at that doctor. I wanted to sue him. Here's what I didn't know is that Dr. Crane had nine medical malpractice cases in California. Wow. He was banned from conducting surgery in San Francisco. He moved to Austin, where Austin has a tort reform act, which means that suing somebody or suing a surgeon that, it, that does a what's called an experimental procedure kind of avoids that until the attorney creates a baseline for care. So the baseline for care being WPATH, which was actually just thrown out of Finland and, and some other countries, the UK, it's hot air. It is basically meant to just throw down so parents go, yep, here's the standard for care. It has not once held up in court anywhere. Uh, you cannot use it in a medical malpractice case, but this is the one, like they're throwing down the studies that it helps mental, you know, mental health. This is the, the thing that they're throwing down going, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's, it's a procedure that has been studied and, and we know the outcomes of all this. Here's the WPATH. Well, I went to eight attorneys in Texas, eight attorneys. Every one of them was excited to take me on. It was, you know, hands down, I've got a, a deformed arm. <laughs> I, you know, had a pulmonary embolism, a heart attack. I had 17 months. I was on, you know, 20 something rounds of antibiotics, a month of IV antibiotics. I mean, I, I don't know how I lived other than I'm just stubborn. 
and they were all excited about that. Every single one of them came back to me in two weeks and said, we can't take it, we can't take it. I'm sorry, we can't take it. Finally, the last one was a woman attorney in Texas and I lost it. You've ever seen like a movie where somebody lost it? You're like, give this person a shot. I mean, that was me. I mean, I was pitiful. I was screaming and yelling and crying and wailing. And I just, it was like, I had just come to, I was like, what? Will somebody take me off of, you know, this game show, please. And tell me why you won't take it. Cause I feel crazy. She said to me, she said, when these attorneys take this on, they're excited because you have a hands down medical malpractice case. The problem is, is that there's no baseline for care. For any attorney to take on your case, we would have to create that baseline of care, which is going to cost about $10 million. Well, your damages are not enough for people to take on. And I'm telling you, nobody wants to do the studies on hormone blockers. Nobody wants to make this uh, not and not experimental procedures. Nobody wants to follow transgender people because if they did, if they did those studies, I guarantee the moment that those studies came out, the transitioning of children would stop right then. Yeah. So when the HHS, uh, assistant secretary goes on uh, the uh, uh, whatever it was, C-SPAN or whatever, but goes into these congressional hearings with senators and stuff like that and says the uh, the medical study of transgender uh, or transgender studies is a nuanced field. Uh, you can just you can call right there bullcrap because it's not nuanced. It's very straightforward. The reality is, is that this is no place for children and there are a lot of negative repercussions that if we don't speak out against, then the only thing you can say to yourself is, yeah, maybe you avoid being called a bigot. Maybe you avoid being called judgmental, but you also are a coward. Uh, and I would rather risk being called names and not risk being called a coward because there is a price to silence and it cannot be our kids. Um, you've got kids. I've got kids. Um, I have a responsibility to the next generation to leave this world better off than I found it. And I feel like this is a fight that needs to be had. So that being said, I want I want to ask you for my audience members, because they're not all Christians, but uh, the vast majority of them probably are. Um, how can Hello, we get... Christians? <laughs> how can Sorry, we get I cuss a lot. I told them so. That's OK. Uh, they, they, they're big boys and girls. Uh, how can we get involved with supporting youth? How can we get involved with becoming more informed and how can we lift our voice to really fight for children who unfortunately sometimes don't have parents who are fighting for them? Well, you got to find something that will lift transgender people, um, that are speaking the truth. I would love to go on with my life and turn this away. I hate doing this kind of stuff. I really do. Um, but you got to find some place to interject your voice and your voice has to be, has to be something, it has to be transgender people. Honestly, it has to, I mean, I, I mean, I started this, this organization, Trade Voices and last month I spent $700 on keeping this website up. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm against pharmaceutical companies that are making millions, if not billions of money. I mean, just get involved, do something, you know, donate here or donate there or do something, or, you know, I want to do a, you know, a speaking tour, 
going to different places with transgender people. I've got a couple hundred transgender people behind me willing to speak. You know, the, the media won't won't spread our words. So let us come to them. I mean, sponsor, do something. But for God's sakes, just don't sit back and do nothing because I don't want to be called a bigot. Because honestly, you are a bigot if you don't say anything. You're allowing our homosexual kids to be slaughtered. Yeah, absolutely. So how so give us your website and give us your uh Twitter handle, if you don't mind, so that we could stay up to date with what you're doing. Uh it's Trey Voices, uh T-R-E Voices. Uh, org, And then my Twitter is, is at Scott Nugent. Um, I just signed on uh, a Canadian version of trade voices. So there's USA Canadian. Um, so go there. All right. Awesome. And, uh, uh, I'm curious, do you feel like the, uh, cause if anybody follows you on Twitter, they'll see this, uh, prolifically. Do you feel like the, uh, the lady, I forget her name, last name, Ogre. Do you feel like she's going to take up the, the, the gauntlet to debate? No, and here's why. Um, I uh, it's funny. Morgan Ogre. It was. Uh, I got involved in this because I saw her attacking a transgender person who who was talking about medical transitioning, and I thought to myself, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to reach out to her. She won't say anything to me. Nobody will talk to me because they know if they talk to me in any kind of public forum, I mean, I will slaughter any ideas that they have and bring them down to reality. There's no way." she's going to agree to do that because if she did, it would shine a light on what is happening. And I, and I realized that a couple of weeks ago when I saw a debate with a, um, a, a father and a transgender person and God bless the transgender person, you know, he, she, whatever really believed what they were saying, you know, it is kind of a cult and I, and I don't shame that person. You know, I understand wanting to fit in that ideology. And then we had the, the father, who was talking to the transgender person and it was it was painful you know when you start talking i mean the studies that i know it would be it was painful for for him and i thought to myself wow that would really that would really kind of open people up you know a public debate on the biggest international debate in the world live i'm telling you people would kind of go oh well god i feel like an idiot standing behind medically transitioning kids and she won't do that she she never speaks uh about facts. And anytime anybody throws anything at her, it's bigot. Well, you can't call me one. So can we talk now? <laughs> All right. Final question. Should men who transition be allowed to compete in women's sports, especially those <laughs> uh, fighting and weightlifting? God, why are we talking about this? Really? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. Let's, let's think about it from somebody who's medically transitioned and the facts. Uh, my body has changed. The way I think has changed. I think completely different. The soul of who I am is the same. I am stronger. I'm not as strong as, as men uh, my age, you know, biological men. The idea that it just, it makes me so angry that I don't, it pisses me off that we're even talking about this. No. Transgender women should not be in sports at all. It's basically taking uh, feminism and shoving it back in their faces. These are not, these are men who take estrogen to create an illusion of a woman for comfort. That is the truth. They're biological males. I am a biological woman who takes testosterone for comfort. I will never, ever, ever be a man unless I gave birth through my penis and nobody told me about it. 
You know, I mean, yeah. why can't we speak about the truth? I just don't understand what society is doing that they were talking about this really. Yeah. And the what? reason why they're, they're pushing to medically transitioning kids, not just because of the financial benefit, talk to these kids, talk to these kids. It's these kids. It's a, it's a cosmetic thing. If males start on estrogen before they go in puberty, well, they can pass better. So we're going to, you know, we're going to make sure that they look better in a dress than worry about their health. Yeah. Kind of thing. It's cosmetic. It's, it's ridiculous what we're talking about. So to answer your question, absolutely not ridiculous. I can't believe people think that. <laughs> yeah. And, and the reason I wanted to end with that question is this, is because we need to be able to realize that we have to have fact-based conversations and move past emotion. So I'm really grateful that me and you are be, uh, have been able to do that today in, in some way. And, and, and even in our small way, make an impact in, in, in this regard that we cannot allow for acquired thinking. What I mean by that is emotional thinking based upon what a transgender activist may say and the extortion that often comes along with that, because when you just think about this practically and rationally, it's ridiculous. Some of the conversations that we're having, and we have to be able to move back to fact-based conversations and be honest about these things and remove the emotion, remove the extortion of the, the name bigot and the, and the name homophobe and any of those other uh, titles and, and labels that we want to throw upon people and just have these conversations. And at the end of the day, I hope we can all agree our children are precious and they deserve to be protected and they cannot make these decisions for themselves. Therefore, you, you parents, you should not be making that decision. They need to make it for themselves as adults. It's not your decision. Anytime parents reach out to me and say, I feel so bad for the pressures to this, I just say very, 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 very clearly, this is not your decision. It's not. Yeah. Unless you're going to decide who your child marries, what career, how many kids they're going to take, what their sexuality is, how much money they're going to make, what car they drive. Until that happens, understand this is not your decision. It's not. It has nothing to do with bigotry. Nothing. 100%. Yeah. And, and I and thank you for your part in helping us get back to rational conversations. I hope we can have more of them. Thank you for having one with uh, me today. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks so much, Scott. Blessings. Our thanks again to our guests for being on the show today. Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman was brought to you by our sponsors. If you like what you heard today, please do us a big favor and give it a five star review and like it and share it with friends. And if you want to hear more awesome guests, make sure to check out past episodes. IndieThinker is a nonprofit paid for by our sponsors and the generous gifts of people like you. In order to hear more great guests like you did today, please consider giving a tax-deductible gift by going to IndieThinker.org. And just remember, your voice matters, but infinitely more when you think for yourself.